0: How many people do you know who struggle with their health? Chances are, whether they show it or not, most of the people in your life do. And chances are, you're one of them. Whether you're dealing with anxiety, depression, endometriosis, acne, eczema, autoimmune, thyroid, Lyme, brain fog, fatigue, or any other symptom or condition, you're far from alone living with symptoms has become the new normal. So no more guessing games. It's time to get answers. Welcome to the Medical Medium Podcast. I'm Anthony William. We're talking about honey. People love their honey. And then there's people that don't like their honey. Let's face it, bees make honey. But I think that's what complicates it all, makes it controversial. What's a bee? Is a bee an animal? I don't know. Do you know? Everybody is just like, hey, I want to have that honey, but I don't think I can. Or say you're vegan and plant-based. I want that honey, but it's too much sugar. Or I want that honey, but no, it's an animal. But either way, honey brings out the best in us, and so do bees. So fasten your seatbelts and let's get down to it because this is gonna be a honeybee ride. Yeah, I know, I know, I love this trail. I, hey, look, check this out, when you, oh, you see over the hill and the mountain right there? Yeah, just keep on going. All right, right. We'll watch out for those stones right there. Okay, yeah, look, whoa, 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 do you see that? That's a beehive right there on the trail. Oh my God, yeah, get a rock. Okay, look. there's a rock over there. Grab that rock, ooh, a stick. I'm gonna grab that stick. Yeah, let's just try to like harvest our own honey. Let's hit the hive. Yeah, why not? You just hit the hive and run. I did it when I was in elementary school. Yeah, my friend got stung, but I didn't. What, you're worried about being stung? Don't worry, don't worry. That was That's not this time. All right, get, get the rock ready. You're gonna throw the rock and then I'm gonna hit it off the tree with a stick. Yeah, it's even, when we get it down there, we'll run away and we'll come back and we'll take all the honey. Yeah, it's like foraging, you know? Foraging in the wild. Yeah, all right, get ready. Okay. All right. Throw the rock. Now, throw the rock. Ow. Ow. Oh! Ow. Oh! Ow. 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 run, Ow. 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 Why Ow. 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 Issues with honey. One, sugar. They think honey is just all straight sugar. They believe that there's nothing good inside the honey, and it's just a sugar high. It's just all sweetener. People are afraid of sugar, so honey gets into the firing line. It's considered bad because it's all sugar. And then there's vegans and plant-based people. There's vegans and plant-based people that eat honey, but there's vegans and plant-based people that don't eat honey because they're afraid it's an animal and they're against eating anything animal. Rightfully so if you're vegan. But there's a lot of confusion in there, which we're going to air out as we go along. And then there's the group of people that are worried about the bees themselves, bee care, are the bees happy, or the bees safe. Harvesting practices are a concern for a lot of people. And then there's the issue, is it a low-quality honey or is it a high-quality raw wild honey? Like high-quality honey. So let's start with, is a bee an animal? And is it okay that vegans who believe bees are animals don't eat honey? Well, first of all, of course it's okay. If someone's vegan or plant-based, And they believe what science says. They believe that bees are actually animals and the honey is a byproduct of an animal. And they believe they should never eat anything animal at all, like cow's milk and dairy and ghee and anything else and chicken and fish and meat. And they believe that, hey, this constitutes as the same thing or something really close to the same thing, then it's best as a vegan or plant-based person to stay away from the honey, then that's great. That's fine. That's their free will. They're vegan. Bee is supposed to be an animal. The honey is a product of the bee. It's made by the bee. Therefore, that honey is a bee byproduct, an animal byproduct. Therefore, if the person's vegan, no, it's off the table, not an option. And that belief about the bee being an animal is created by science. Science says a bee is an animal. Insects are animals, part of the animal kingdom. Therefore, that belief is instilled in the person because science is never wrong, ever, right? Never wrong? Like ever? Science is something that you can't doubt or you can't suggest anything different that maybe it's not quite correct or... God forbid we say science is a learning process because it's constantly changing all the time. And when you really look at science, it's changing so much and so fast. It's constantly contradicting itself over and over again. And if we kind of look at science for what it really is, just this kind of experimental learning process that keeps on correcting itself over and over again because it was never right to begin with. And if we open our eyes and open our mind and see that science has failed us over and over again, that maybe a bee isn't an animal. Did you ever see an animal in the wild? Were you ever walking on a trail or in a field somewhere and you see a coyote go by and you're like, whoa, what is that animal? Like, what is that? Oh, wait, oh, that's a coyote. Cool, that's amazing. Or did you ever see like somewhere where you're watching something, some video of some animal or something like that? Whoa, did you see those animals on there? Yeah, it was a whole bunch of elk. Yeah, it was elk running by. Or did you ever see a deer? And it's like, and your child says, what is that, daddy? Like, what is that? You're like, that's an animal. That's what that is. That's an animal. It's a deer. Do you tell your child that the deer, that animal you saw, is an insect? It's like, no, that's an insect running by over there. That 300-pound buck, that deer, that animal that just ran by, that's an insect. That's a 300-pound insect that ran by, and that's what you tell your daughter or son. But no, that's not what you tell them you don't tell them it was an insect. Or what about this one? If you're in a camping trip with somebody and you're sitting around a campfire, everybody's got marshmallows on a stick. And all of a sudden you you hear somebody go, "How? I got bit by an animal. An animal bit me. An animal bit me on the arm. Everybody's getting like, what what animal? Where, where is it? Is it a skunk? Is it a raccoon? Uh, was it a coyote? Was it a wild cat? What was it that bit you? What? No, the animal, it bit me. I had an animal on my arm and it, it took a bite. It bit me. No, no one's going to do that. Instead, they're going to be like, ow, an insect just bit me. Hey, do you have that insecticide that you can spray all over my body? Yeah. Can you shoot that all over me? Can you spray that all over me? Can I rub that on my arms? I don't want to keep on getting bit by insects, bugs, because insects are bugs. Or say you're at the campfire, it's at night, everybody's roasting marshmallows, and you hear something rustling in the woods, and you're way out there in the woods. And all of a sudden, it gets louder and louder. It comes out, and it's a grizzly bear. And that grizzly bear is angry, and it's starting to head right to the campfire. And everybody just says, Bug, a bug an insect, an insect, a bug. And then one of your friends at the campsite gets mauled and eaten, right? When everybody else runs away, the park ranger comes to investigate, park ranger to ask everybody and goes, what happened? What did you see? Well, a bug came out of the woods and park ranger like, okay, a bug, an insect is is coming out. Okay. And attacked my friend, park ranger's, Okay, one insect attack on a friend. That must have been a really big insect that devoured your friend. A really big bug ate your friend there. There's a reason why we call animals animals and insects and bugs insects and bugs. Because if we didn't, it would be mass confusion. Another reason why we call animals animals and insects insects is because they're not the same thing. I have a question for you. Do you believe in souls? Do you believe that you have a soul? Do you believe that everybody has a soul? Do you believe that animals have a soul too? Do you believe that both wild animals and domesticated animals have a soul? I believe personally that everybody has a soul that all humans on this planet have an individual soul. But that's what I believe. And maybe you're somebody that doesn't believe that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also believe that every single animal has an individual soul too. Now, I know that pushes the limit for a lot of people because a lot of people don't believe animals have souls. They don't. They just don't even think about it. They just think that people have that, but an animal doesn't. And that's fine too if that's what you believe. Animals don't have souls, and it's something you believe, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you believe you have a soul, did you know that with that soul, you can decide to do a consciousness meditation? You can sit on top of a hill. You can smell the air. You can listen to the birds. You can listen to a river running by. You can look at the clouds, see different shapes. You can watch where the sun's at. You can listen to the thunder in the distance. And it's all contemplative meditation. You're using your free will and you're using your soul and you're doing like a nature meditation. And maybe you know this and maybe you knew that. But did you know this? Animals can do the same. They have a soul. They can sit on a hill. They can listen to the breeze. They can listen to birds. They can listen to a river running by. They can see the clouds in the sky. They can see the leaves rustling. And they can smell the air. They can dream. They can contemplate. They can sit there in nature and they can feel and sense and they can do it on a soul level. Both domesticated animals and wild animals. Humans are not always on a mission. They can take time out. They can just chill out. They could sit there in a chair and look at the sky. It's not always about getting something done every single second. Sure, humans have to get their food. They have to find their resources. Food, water, shelter. Animals are not always on a mission every single second and minute. Yes, survival is hard in the wild. Food, shelter, water, it's critical. But animals take a second. A deer can stand there in a field and not be on a mission. For a few minutes, a deer can sit there and smell the air and watch the birds fly by. Humans like to play. They like to throw a frisbee in the park. They like to kick a ball around. They like to sit on the beach, get a suntan. Animals like to play. Cats and dogs play. Horses like to play. Goats like to play. Even elephants love to play. And even deer love to play, too. Now, in order to play, the deer has to stop and look around and think and say, I'm going to sit here, I'm in a playful mood, and I'm going to try to start something with another deer, have some fun. It's not just about a mission and being in a pact. It's individual soul. An animal, like a deer, has a soul and free will in its own way and chooses to kick back for a minute and play for a second because animals have souls, just like humans have souls. So let's talk about bees, insects, let's talk about bugs. Insects are always on a mission, the mission is never interrupted. The mission goes on and on and on. So let's look at ants for a second. The mission is to do what every single ant does. You get in a line and you work and that's all you do. The mission never ends. You think an ant kicks to the side and says, hey guys, I'll take a little break here. I want to play. Any of you other ants want to leave the army right there and march over here and play around for a little while? Hey, you guys smell that air? Yeah, you listen to that stream go by you guys, let's take a break. Who cares if the ant hive gets done or not? Who cares if we finish what we need to finish? Don't worry about those little ant eggs sitting there. Take a break. Kick back. The mission is always the same. It never changes. It's always orders and marching and getting the things done that insects do. There's never individuality. There's never any soul thinking. There's never any individual ant or bee, or grasshopper that goes to the side and just stops doing what insects do. Because insects don't have an individual soul. They have a collective soul. One ant doesn't have a soul. All ants have the same one soul. I'm not just talking about all the ants in that one colony, the one ant hive. I'm not talking about all bees in that one beehive. I'm talking about all bees on planet Earth have one soul, a collective soul. All ants on Earth all have one big collective soul, one big mission. It's not individualized per ant. Does a fly have a soul? Does that fly that's on top of that garbage can... Or on that pile of poo in the grass in the park? Does that fly have a soul? And that fly sits there and meditates while it's on that pile of poo? Or it's got a mission? And it does have a mission. Create as many maggots as possible. Land on a carcass. Land on poo. Land on a human who is very ill. Land on anything. And then leave eggs and grow maggots. It's its only mission. And that individual fly doesn't have a soul. All the flies have a collective direction, a collective soul. And their mission is to leave eggs on something that's weak and sick and dying like a sick, weak animal in the woods, or a poo, or something else leave or garbage and leave those eggs there so maggots can be produced, but that's its only real mission, and it doesn't stop. It never stops. And we hate flies. Everybody hates flies. Flies are disgusting. Flies are gross. Everybody swats flies, puts fly paper up. All the restaurants have fly paper up in the kitchen. The chefs are working. The flies just collect on the fly paper above the chefs. Everybody hates flies because we don't like the fly's purpose. We hate the fly's purpose. We hate the fly's mission, but we don't hate the bee's mission. Sure, if someone's allergic to bees, they hate bees. Someone doesn't like getting stung by a bee and they're scared to death to get stung by a bee, they hate bees. But we really love bees overall because they're the pollinator or one of the ultimate pollinators. We swat a fly without batting an eye, but we don't want to swat a bee too often. A, somebody might think they're going to get stung, so they don't want to swat a bee for that reason. But we don't usually kill and swat bees. We think about them in a different light. We want them preserved. We like them because we know they're on flowers. We love flowers. We love bees. Bees are on flowers, pollinating fruit on trees. We love seeing bees on flowers on fruit trees so we can get fruit. We love seeing bees on dandelion flowers. We love seeing bees on wildflowers and roses, wild roses. But each bee doesn't have an individual soul, it's a collective soul, it's a constant mission. They don't have a free will. They can't say, I'm not going to pollinate today. I'm not gonna go on that fruit flower, fruit tree flower. I'm not gonna do my work. I'm not gonna do my job. I'm gonna take a day off, or I'm gonna take some time off, kind of like a fly. A fly is not gonna say, well, I'm not gonna lay any maggot eggs today. I'm not gonna worry about that garbage can. I'm just gonna forget the garbage cans today. Let me sit by a riverside, take a break, take a load off for a minute. Everybody has their limitations. No one wants to really kill a bee because they like seeing bees on their flowers in their flower garden, but they'll squash a spider in two seconds flat. No one wants to see a bee killed, but they'll swat a fly in a second flat. Everybody's different for how they perceive life forms on this planet. Like, for instance, you ever heard the expression, that person can't hurt a fly, right? Or I can't hurt a fly. You ever heard that before? But then there's people that'll kill a pig, no problem. They'll hit a pig in the back of the head with a hammer, knock it out, and not bat an eye. But I'm not judging anybody. It's not what this is about. It's people who eat animal protein and they don't know the process. And there's people who raise their own animal protein and know the process. And then there's people that don't eat any animal protein and still know the process to some degree. And then there's people who don't want to not only eat animal protein, but they don't want to eat anything animal on any level. And they've learned about the process and how it works with animals, eating animals, raising animals, killing animals for slaughter, for food on the table, for food in the grocery stores, for animal protein eaters. And for whatever reason, most of the people on the planet don't have an education to where their food comes from, how it's raised, what the slaughtering practices are, the harvesting of animal products, the harvesting of animal byproducts, like milk, cheese, butter, eggs. Everybody comes at it with a different knowing, understanding about their food, understanding about their byproducts that they're consuming from the animal's understanding even about their fruits, vegetables, and anything else they're eating. Some people believe that only humans have souls. Some people don't even believe humans have souls. But some people believe that humans do have souls, right? And then some people believe animals have souls. Some people don't believe animals have souls. Some people won't hesitate when they kill a mosquito when it's on their arm. Some people won't hesitate when they swat that fly. I was at a friend's house. He has a screened-in porch and a bee got in. It was in there for a few hours and it was a hot day. I was sitting there in a chair talking to him on his porch. And I said, I have to save that bee. So I got up and I went to the bee and I was trying to catch it. It was very weak. It was just stuck to the screen. And I was carefully trying to catch it without getting stung. My friend said, are you crazy? Who cares? It's a bee. It's going to die. Big deal. It's an insect. I said, no, it's more than that. I have to save this bee. So I got a piece of paper and was able to kind of shift it off the screen onto the paper. And I was barely crawling. I took it outside and I put it on a flower, a wild flower that was in the yard. And it sat there, and it started doing its thing. Instantly, its mission wasn't interrupted anymore by mankind, by being trapped in something that was man-made, that the bee was not supposed to be in in that moment. The bee was on his mission, all set and ready on that flower, all of a sudden building its strength and gathering its strength and starting to come around and starting to come around, and it was just sitting there building up strength, a little bit at a time. And then I just watched it and watched it and it took off and took flight. I wanted that bee to join the other bees, perform that mission, complete the mission. I wanted it back in sync with the collective hive. That bee had a frequency. That frequency was the hive of bees. That hive frequency was all bees on the planet because it was a soul frequency, one big collective soul, not individualized souls per bee, which truly determines, truly determines if a bee is an animal, if an insect is an animal. It's individual soul or collective soul frequency. Let's talk about science for a minute. So science dictates that insects are animals, but they've never seen insects play. They've never seen two mosquitoes playing, having some form of contemplation, some form of meditation. They've never seen two mosquitoes bumping up against each other because they're actually being playful like elephants do, and they never will. They'll never see that. There's different understandings or a higher understanding that science does not see when they're doing their classifications. Classifying anything can go into any different direction. Institutions that classify things, scientific institutions, are man-made. So classifications can change or go into any direction. It's fallible. It's an institutional decision to classify insects as animals. It is not a universal law. It's not a universal truth. Instead, it was an institution, scientific institution that made the decision for everyone else. That means they made the decision for you. And then that makes you make a choice because of their decision. Science is known for being right about one thing and wrong about a thousand other things. Can you think of one thing recently, one big thing, one huge thing, like really big thing that science was wrong about recently, where science led people into thinking something was good for them, but after everything was all said and done, it wasn't good for them, and it didn't work out, and it didn't protect them, Science learns from its mistakes over and over again. That's what it does. It makes mistake after mistake. Cost is actually severe on people, spoils of war. Who cares? Who cares about people's lives? Who cares if someone's life was ruined? You become their scientific mistake. That's how it works. They don't care. They're not held accountable for anything. Doesn't matter what it is asbestos. Hmm. Look what happened with that. Cigarette smoking science is the one that said smoking was safe for pregnant women smoking was safe for everyone science said that not some person one current mistake science is making is misunderstanding honey misunderstanding its value seeing it for just sugar honey is just sugar science that's all science will say about it it's like it's straight sugar and that's all it is and by the way a bee is an animal for anybody who, you know, is concerned or wants to put healthy things in their body. Interesting. Do you think that the science world of health and wellness, the science world of medicine, wants everybody healthy? Do they? No. The first thing that comes to the average person's mind when anybody mentions the word honey is one thing whoa, calories, sugar, bad, bad for me. It's sugar. It's all sugar. It's the first thing. Everyone has been conditioned to think that very thing, a purposeful, on-purpose conditioning. That was done for a reason. Because hmm, we have to take one of the most powerful healing foods out there, like true plant medicine. I'm going to explain why. It's going to blow your mind true plant medicine. And then we have to discredit it. That's what science does. It'll discredit something so important for humankind. It'll destroy it. That's what it does. It doesn't care what happens. And you might be thinking like, hey, it's just honey, calm down. It's no big deal. It's like, who cares if anybody eats it, doesn't eat it, doesn't eat it for the rest of their lives. Who cares if someone's tricked or confused Who cares if they think it's all sugar and they avoid it? Like, what's the big deal? Live or die, man. It'll all be fine. But what people don't realize is honey's been around for a long, long time. I mean, long time. And what they don't know is that the human race would not be what it is today if it wasn't because of honey, a survival food that allowed civilizations to stay here, function, and grow to get us to the point where we are today because of honey. All you hear out there is about genes, right? It's all about genes, genetics. Science is really into that big time. All they do is get grant after grant after grant. Billions have gone into genetic research, right? And what's interesting, though, is our genes know something about honey. It goes back all the way to the beginning of humankind Honey is actually in our genes, built into our genes. And honey carries information. Tremendous amounts of endless information. And plants carry information. Thousands and thousands of years worth of information. Did it ever dawn on science at all that there could be something else inside honey that isn't just sugar. So that first thing that hits everybody's mind is right, is the sugar, that part. But then there's something else that hits somebody's mind too. Say somebody wants to be just plant-based, say they wanna be vegan for a moment in their life. Because I'm just being straight up, not a lot of people stay vegan once they go vegan. They will then be eating eggs two years later because they get a rash and they think it was the diet or something or A functional doctor says, you're going to lose all your protein, and you're just going to start falling apart, and all of a sudden, they're eating eggs again, right? But they avoided honey for those two years, and they probably avoid honey for the rest of their life because they get conditioned in a different way again. The sugar fear, that aspect of honey, they carry that with them like a wound. So not only did they avoid the honey during the course of being a vegan during that duration, but... They're like, well, I can't do the sugar anyway because my new functional medicine doctor says avoid all sugar. And I can't do the honey. I can't do fruit either, but I'm not going to put honey on my fruit, God forbid. And they carry that wound with them along the way. So the traps are set. They're there. They're ingrained in people. People are conditioned. Science doesn't want anybody on true plant medicine, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And then you get cheated. Cheated out of something so medicinal something so special, something that's been in our body for thousands and thousands of years, humankind, something that's ingrained in our genes. The crazy thing is, sugar is how we function. Without sugar, we die. Our brain starts dying in five seconds. Without sugar, glucose getting to the brain. Now, did science miss this? Did science? They know this. I think they know this. They know that blood sugar, we can't work, we can't play, we can't live our life, we can't do anything without blood sugar. If you avoid healthy sugar, like completely avoided, 100% avoided, and you're not getting enough glucose to your muscles, like your heart muscle, it'll atrophy. If you don't get enough glucose to your brain, it'll atrophy. Brain will shrink over time. If you're somebody who's chronically ill, a neurological disorder, a neurological condition, maybe you spend a lot of time on mattress island, couch island, maybe you're bedridden at one time in your life, and you just eat fat only, like fat and protein, you'll atrophy, you'll waste away. It's happened, I've seen it out there. It's terrifying, actually. Sugar helps stop that, that wasting away. Muscle atrophy, organ atrophy, glucose, it's critical. Meanwhile, the health world and the science world They're just going to tell you fear it and fear it, fear-mongering on sugar. It makes you wonder, like, it makes you think, like, what's the real goal in the end for science, the wellness world, the medicine world, the science world? Is it just to get us to waste away and die, get sick and just rot and fall apart and lose everything and not function? Like, what's their real goal? I notice that science always hits the things that are sacred and honey's sacred bees are sacred too. They make the honey. But science tends to hit those sacred things. So they then condition everyone that sugar is a problem, right? And sugar's in honey. So that's a problem. But what's interesting is, did you ever hear about the carnivore diet, right? Where it's people who they were sick from eating standard American diet or whatever, standard Europe diet, and they were eating not good all those years, processed foods, fast foods, greasy foods, whatever. And then- it went and picked the carnivore diet where they only felt better by getting rid of all the cakes, cookies, and donuts and all the bad stuff. And they started just eating meat and meat only. So every day it was like mono meat meals. It's like I'm having my ground chopped beef in the morning and in the afternoon having a burger, just a burger, no bun, no nothing. Later on, I'll have a steak and I'm feeling better. Like I'm coming around. I like this carnivore diet thing. But then after you do it for a year, You start atrophying. Your workouts aren't the same. Start losing muscle instead of gaining muscle. If you're working out, you start bumping into walls because you don't have glucose to your brain. So too many people ran into this problem. So they started changing up the carnivore diet and they brought in honey. And they brought that in saying, you could do honey now. You can do your meat all day long or your meat and eggs all day long or something. And then you can bring in your honey. And it was kind of bringing them back to life. The carnivore people, they were like not zombies anymore walking around like walking dead. They were starting to get their life back because they were getting sugar to their brain, their muscles, their heart, their body, their liver. The carnivore diet and every other diet out there always morphs. It's like one big chameleon. It changes. No one's keeping track of the changes. No one's saying, oh, man. You just messed up people for the last 10 years on that diet, (laughs) and now you're finally bringing in honey? It's like that with all the diets out there. No one's consistent. They're contradicting themselves over and over again. Each diet contradicts itself over and over again, and it learns from its mistakes. No one's tracking the mistakes because there's a whole bunch of newcomers coming in like, oh, cool, I am going to try this new diet. Uh... What year are we in? Are you guys still making mistakes? Because you made mistakes 10 years ago. You made mistakes five years ago. No one's knowing that. No one's being taught that. It's like you go into it and you don't know that they made a change up, right? It's like articles on the internet. They make mistakes. The article's up there. It's got misinformation. And then there's an update all of a sudden. (laughs) 2021, there's an update in this article. Nobody knows that the last 20 years in that article... It just messed people up because it was just mistake after mistake in health. No one knows the history. There's no consistency. No one's being held accountable or at least called out for it. And there's a whole bunch of spoils of war, which is basically someone who just gets wronged along the way. And this can happen with anything in health. Take honey, for example. Millions and millions of people are wronged because of the misinformation about honey. So let's get into it now. Science doesn't recognize there's more than just sugar and honey. They don't recognize phytochemical compounds in honey. They don't take the magic number, $250 million, a grant, a whole group of scientists, and start really looking into that honey. See what's in there. Herbs are medicine. Herbs are medicinal. If you pick an herb like mullein and you tea it, you got medicine right there. Phytochemical compounds, antiviral compounds, antibacterial compounds, antioxidants that are not even identified. All this medicine when you're doing herbal medicine, right? Well, what's a bee do? A bee is flying around and then it lands on an herb, a flowering herb, and it collects information. It collects medicine, nectar and pollen. Let's take dandelions for an example. Dandelion greens, they're medicinal. Dandelion root is medicinal, helps with the liver, it's a blood cleanser, has all kinds of different nutrients in there. Well, the bee lands on the dandelion flower and it's sitting there on the flower, collecting pollen, collecting nectar from the dandelion flower. The science of research, they haven't studied the nectar and the pollen on the dandelion flower. They haven't done their research. They haven't done their discoveries. They haven't taken the dandelion flower and put it under laboratory tests with armies of lab technicians and scientists to find the medicine. It would take decades and decades, hundreds of millions of dollars. And doesn't even mean they'll find what they're looking for because they don't know what they're looking for. It would be like one little discovery here, year, 10 years later, hundreds of millions of dollars, another little discovery here. And they wouldn't even scratch the surface of what's in that dandelion flower that the bee collects. And here's the crazy part. That bee takes that nectar and pollen, sticks it in its storage bin, the second stomach. It's just a storage bin for the nectar and pollen. And then takes a flight off that dandelion flower and all of a sudden lands on another flower, a rose petal. A wild rose petal, something that science of research knows nothing about, doesn't know the qualities in there, the medicinal properties in there, and lands on that flower and collects the nectar and pollen from that wild rose petal and stores it in the stomach along with the dandelion flower properties inside that stomach, and they mix. Now, that nectar and that pollen on the dandelion flower Could have over a hundred properties, medicinal properties in phytochemical compounds undiscovered by research and science. But here's the crazy thing: then it landed on the wild rose petal, the bee, and collected another hundred phytochemical compounds unknown to medical research and science. That's already 200 wild. Phytochemical compounds unknown to medical research and science sitting inside that bee's storage bin, the second stomach. And then it gets crazier. That same bee heads over to soapwort. A soapwort plant that has its flowers out in that moment lands on the flowers of that soapwort plant and starts to collect another hundred or more phytochemical compounds undiscovered by medical research and science. But that's not where it stops. The bee has a busy day. It's gonna hit a lot of plants. It then heads to thistle. It looks for those big, kind of purpley-bluish thistle flowers, and it lands on those. And it collects pollen and nectar from that thistle flower, undiscovered properties, medicinal qualities. Unknown to medical research and science, medicine, sitting inside that belly of that bee now. And from there, it heads to grandma's house. Now, grandma may not have some thistle in her yard. She might not have dandelion flowers in her yard. Maybe she uses a weed killer in her yard, so there's no dandelions there. But it heads to her garden, her flower garden, and it goes to a flower, lands on a daylily, and collects over a hundred phytochemical compounds undiscovered by research in science, nectar and pollen from the daylily. But here's what's crazy. That same bee leaves the daylily and goes to a marigold in grandma's garden and then does it all over again, collects another hundred compounds, phytochemical compounds from the marigold. But here's another thing. It leaves the marigold and heads to grandma's lavender And the pollen and the nectar on the lavender flowers are being taken in by the bee, stored away with its hundred or more phytochemical compounds unknown to research and science. And from there, if there's some tulips there, the bee will head to the tulips. And it doesn't stop there. It just doesn't stop The bee keeps on traveling to some other grandma's garden or somebody else's garden or even somebody's tomato garden. Here's what's crazy, right? Now, tomatoes, you don't eat the leaves of tomatoes because the leaves are toxic. But it's like that with fruit trees. It's like that with other plants. It's like that with a lot of different herbs where you can eat a certain part of a plant, but you don't eat another part of the plant. You don't eat the root of a certain plant, but you can eat the leaves. You know, there's this with the whole thing with herbal medicine, if you guys have looked into that, right? So what happens is with a tomato plant, you don't eat the leaves of the plant. You don't eat the flowers. You eat the tomato, the juicy, ripe tomato. But the bee lands on the tomato flower and gathers over a 100 phytochemical compounds off that tomato plant, that tomato flower unknown to research and science, healing properties in there. Phytochemical compounds are healing properties. Now here's the next thing the bee does. Do you like peaches? Do you like nectarines? Do you like pears? Do you like apples? That bee will go to an apple tree and get the nectar and pollen from the flower, the apple blossom. Now, same thing like the tomato plant, you can't eat the apple leaves off the tree. If you go and you pluck all those coarse, stringent apple tree leaves off the tree and you want to eat them, you're going to wind up sick. You just are. You're not supposed to eat the leaves off an apple tree. And you're not supposed to eat the stems, meaning not the stems, but the branches off of that tree either. But those flowers have healing properties and the bee collects that nectar and the pollen off that flower. And not just that flower, but a crab apple tree down the street. So then that bee then flies to the crab apple tree. Now, here's what's crazy. Crab apple tree, well, no one's going to eat those apples. They're really astringent and tart and sour, right? The apples just fall off the tree. The deer come by and pick up those crab apples. No one eats them but the flowers were medicine, and the bee grabs the medicine from those crab apple flowers. So that's another 100 or more phytochemical compounds, unknown to research and science. And the bee takes the nectar and the pollen from that crab apple blossom and places it in its storage bin. What's amazing is that as each day goes by, as each week goes by, the season is changing. Different flowers are coming out. Different plants, different herbs, wild herbs, flowers and flower gardens, fruit and vegetable gardens, people's backyards and their gardens, weeds, weeds that have healing properties and herbs, all of it is just changing and shifting. And the bee throughout those weeks are going on different ones, different plants. Now, each day, one bee can hit 300 different plants each day. Think about that. Now, even if it's repeat plants and you end up with 40 different plants, and what's 40 times 100? 100 chemical compounds undiscovered by medical research and science times 40, you got 4,000. And then think about it. That's 4,000 phytochemical compounds undiscovered by medical research and science healing properties from 1B in one day one bee in one day but what about all the other bees cuz it isn't one bee that makes all that honey in that beehive what about those other hundreds of bees what did they collect what flowers were they on what plants were they on where what was their journey along the way how many did they collect phytochemical compounds but it gets even more incredible and incredible think about this there are plants That are edible. There are plants that are not edible. There are flowers that are edible. There are flowers that aren't. There's fruit that is edible and fruit that isn't. There's trees that you can get something edible from them. And there's trees you just can't touch because it's inedible on all levels. But yet, the bee has this miraculous God given nature. It can transform the inedible to edible. Nothing else can. The bee can go into grandma's garden onto a flower you can't eat. A toxic flower in her flower garden. A toxic flower that if a dog or a cat ate would get sick. That if a human ate, they would get sick. It would be toxic. It would be poisonous. Flower shops are filled with those kinds of flowers. And that bee can go on that toxic flower and collect over a hundred different phytochemical compounds in the nectar and pollen, store it in its stomach, convert it into honey, transform the inedible to edible. Now that's plant medicine. Not even pharmaceutical companies can take plants that are toxic to humans and convert them to make them non-toxic for humans, not even Pharmaceutical companies have the power to do that, only the bee does. One incredible medicinal property that the bee collects is propolis. And that propolis ends up in traces inside the honey. It's one of those incredible phytochemical compounds that has healing properties. After a long day of collecting medicine, the bee heads back to the nest. Its journey for the day is done. With the help of worker bees, it unloads its nectar and pollen. Now, its nectar has a little bit of moisture in it. And the worker bees have to dry that moisture out. So they have to fan with their wings to get that moisture out of all that nectar. Or the nectar will ferment. And if it gets fermented, it's spoiled. And it's no good anymore. The medicine is ruined. It's fermented. It starts to change its structures. Its chemical composition changes. So it's imperative that the moisture leaves the nectar or the honey is completely spoiled. As of now, in this day and age, in the present moment, we do not have advanced enough technology to decode the phytochemical compound structures and the amounts of them inside honey. There is no interest to finding the medicine, and there isn't the technology. But worse, there isn't the interest. That's the problem right there. That means in our lifetime, in our grandchildren's lifetime, in our great grandchildren's lifetime, the medicine will never be found. And why would they want us to find the medicine? They're trying to teach us it's all sugar and honey's really not good for you. So let's talk a little bit about beekeeping practices, sustainable beekeeping practices. I think that's a concern for most people out there that are worried about their honey. They want to make sure the bees were treated good and the honey they're consuming or eating is the best and highest quality. So one of the big concerns is when we're raising bees, we're not starving them. See, bees need honey to survive a winter. And that's what they do. They produce honey to feed their colony. But bees overproduce honey, so they have more than enough honey to survive a winter. In one year, a colony of bees can produce up to 200 pounds of honey. It'll consume the honey throughout the year, and then save a large amount for the winter. If a beekeeper is harvesting the honey, they should only harvest about 30 pounds. And depending upon the hive, it might even be best to have 20 pounds harvested or 25 pounds, but no more than 50 pounds is best. The reason, when those winter months come, the bees need their honey. You want to protect them. You want them to not starve. You want them to be able to eat the honey through the cold months. The best time to harvest honey is earlier in the year in the spring, or before it becomes summer. Because this way, the bees can then create more honey throughout the summer and fall, so they have that honey to survive the winter. It's important that a bee has a strong immune system because the bee is making your honey, the honey that you're going to be eating. And if the bee is producing the honey, the bee's immune system matters. It's part of how the honey is actually created. If a bee is really weak or damaged or injured or sickly, it's producing a sickly honey. It's still going to be good for you. It's still going to be providing so many incredible phytochemical compounds, but it may not be the strongest honey because the bee isn't functioning at its best. A bee needs to be functioning at its best to collect all that nectar, carry it to the nest, and inside that storage bin That honey needs to start the process of being created, and we need a strong bee, a healthy bee, to make sure the honey is at its best. Even if the honey that you're eating comes from the weakest beehive, all the bees in that beehive are weak, listless, they have malaise, they're just walking around bumping into each other. They're not collecting the pollen right, not collecting the nectar right not doing what they need to do, they're not busy enough, they're not feeling strong, they're not active enough, it's a weak beehive, you're still going to have honey that's offering something for your immune system. You're still going to have honey that's incredible for the body. But when the bees are at their best, the healthiest, strongest immune systems, functioning properly, then the honey is the most potent, the most potent medicine. So what does honey do for us What does it do for our immune system, our body? Well, science and research ignores it completely. The only thing you can find really is folklore, folktales, old wives' tales for hundreds and hundreds of years, like placing honey on a wound, helping it to heal faster. Also, taking honey, putting it in your mouth, letting it sit on your throat. If you're under the weather, got a scratchy throat, you don't feel good, or if you're cold and you got the chills, and you need to reset the temperature inside your body. So you take a tablespoon of honey and do that repeatedly throughout the day. You know, these are great things that have been used for hundreds of years. The thing is, though, that hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, no one had the technology or understanding of really what honey does as far as what's really happening with honey. Like, they spread it on a wound, they found out the wound seemed to heal faster, but that's all they knew. And even today, we don't have the technology right now to know what honey does, all its healing properties, how honey really works. We don't have that now. hundred years from now, we still won't know what all those thousands upon thousands of phytochemical compounds do inside our body or on our body. But because honey was really used thousands of years ago, because it was really used hundreds of years ago, To help people heal, we still carry that along with us now so we can say, well, it's good for us and it does work because we have that history of it really being in use, even though we didn't know what it was doing for us. Like we didn't know why back then it was helpful. Thousand years ago, we didn't know why when you rubbed honey on a wound, it would heal faster or not get infected. We had no idea. And we still really don't. Science and research still doesn't have enough data, still hasn't discovered the real properties. We still don't know. It's actually guesswork. Remember, we're in a place now where medical communities in science and research and alternative health and conventional health thinks sugar will cause all disease. So sugar's the problem. Sugar will feed like candida or sugar will make you sicker or cause a problem, cause cancer, cause cavities, sugar will create that, is what they believe. Meanwhile, they're accepting that when you rub this honey, which is sugar, think about that, you're rubbing sugar on a wound, the bacteria can't grow. So here you are taking sugar, you're putting it on a wound, and the bacteria is dying, it's suppressing, Once again, crushing science's belief. Meanwhile, when it comes to honey, we're still guessing, so science hasn't discovered why it suppresses bacteria. They haven't done the research. They don't have the technology either. They don't know about the properties and what they do and how honey heals the body, which leads to a problem. Because of that, people at the same time do believe honey is helpful to people that do believe it, right? So they'll say... Well, yeah, for thousands of years, for hundreds of years, honey was always used. It was used in ancient history. And so it does work. And they knew what to do with it back then. So it's already been discovered. Like everything about honey is known. So we could say anything we want about it and we can prove it by saying it was done in the past. In the case of honey, it was used in the past. They didn't know why it worked. Cultures didn't know why. We knew they used it, but nobody knew how it helped the body. And now we're still in that same position. Science hasn't looked into it. They don't know all the uses for it. They just knew you could eat it to survive when you're starving to death. So it saved their lives if they were hungry. They also knew that if you got a cut or a scratch, you could put the honey on it and it can help. It's pretty much it. Oh, and then thousands of years later, like, Thousands of years have gone by, and someone ate the honey when they had a scratchy throat. They realized it soothed their throat, so we could throw that one in there. But let's be real about where we are today, which leads us to this problem. We're in a science-based world now. It's all about science. Everybody goes to school. They think science is God. They're taught that you have to have science to back up anything you're saying or anything you believe in. There has to be some type of science behind it. So when someone gets a hobby or they get interested in something or they get passionate about something like health, where they're like, well, I had a problem and I was told to try this honey. I tried the honey. I think I feel better. But where's the science? Because I'm a science-minded person, so I need something to back up this honey. I'm looking around and I see a lot of gossip out there on the internet that honey has this or that, or it's pretty good for me, but where's the science studies? Where's the concrete science evidence? Where's all the research? Where's all the data that really shows me what honey has? Well, I can't find it out there. I'm looking, I'm looking. I see a lot of folklore. I see a lot of people writing articles about information they got from somewhere else, from somewhere else, but there's no science behind it. So then it's time to do the default. I love science. I love this honey. There's no science, but I love this honey. So it's default. And what is that default? Ancient cultures used it. They know it's been around for thousands of years. So that proves it right there. It's already known. You don't even need any science because the science is there already. Everybody's known about it. It's there, ancient cultures used it, indigenous cultures used it. I love my honey. I'm a science-minded person, but I don't even need science anymore. Yes, honey has been used for thousands of years, but making any kind of claim that they knew how to use it all those thousands of years, like how much, the amounts, to what for, to what disease, to what illness, to what it actually did and what it does is a whole nother story. This is a technique right now being used all the time lately, acting like everything's all sewed up. It's a weaponized technique right now, meaning that because honey was consumed or thought to be good for you a long time ago, it's all sewed up. It's all figured out. It's weaponization to work along with science that didn't even actually pull through for us. This means this technique can be used for example, if I give you new information about Honey here in this podcast episode, incredible information that nobody knew before, because Honey's been around all these years, a person now can default it and be like, oh, but it's ancient, it's everything's already been known and sewed up. So if you hear something about Honey here that you've never heard anywhere else, and it's brand new to the table, those people will use the weaponized default button The weaponized default mode, which is, oh, it's ancient history. Everything's all known. Let me go and take that brand new information about honey I've never heard before. Science doesn't know. No one's talked about. Let me take it, poach it, not cite it, but then do the default button. It's ancient, ancient cultures. They knew everything back then. And by the way, science is probably learning all new stuff now, too, about it, too. But they do this with everything. Look at celery. Nobody knew it was anti-pathogenic. Nobody knew sodium cluster salts killed bad bacteria. Nobody knew about the sodium cluster salts killing off viruses. Nobody knew any of that. 16 ounces on an empty stomach. Nobody knew how to use it, in what way, how to juice it alone and only alone and not mix anything. But since celery's been around for a while, and somebody probably... Put it through a juicer with a carrot before. Oh, it's already been done before. Science hasn't studied it on any level, celery juice, on any level, but they act like it's all sewed up now and they can say anything they want about it as if it's all sewed up, already been known, and everybody's been doing it exactly that way for the last thousand years. But poachers do this with everything now. Look at Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine truly was about toxic heavy metals. It was about mercury. So what they used is mercury as medicine for thousands of years. That's what they did. If an emperor got sick, they gave the emperor mercury. It actually killed emperors of the past and also other people too, obviously. And Chinese medicine wasn't about herbs a thousand years ago. Even a couple of hundred years ago, Chinese medicine wasn't about herbal medicine. It was about bugs and insects. So what they used for treatments of conditions was bugs and insects. So they would have containers of all these different insects, all these different bugs, and then animal parts like bats and bat wings and toad claws and lizard gills. They had all these different creatures as medicine and all these different bugs and insects. And then, yes, a few mushrooms and a few herbs, but 90% or more was creatures, bugs, and insects. Oh, yeah, and metals, mercury. That was the other thing, too. Chinese medicine, they had the mercury elixir. That was the big one. They had it for thousands of years. It was still on the top chart when you're sick. 200 years ago, you look for help in Chinese medicine, you get the glass of mercury elixir or the mercury powder. And once again, they didn't have technology or the right technology, and they still don't now. Science doesn't know what's in our honey. It's like cat's claw, right? The bark. Well, years ago, like decades and decades ago, they just thought it gave you a little extra energy. But when you put new information out about cat's claw, like it's incredible for Lyme disease because that's what medical medium information was originally. New information about how it's used, how it's anti-pathogenic, how to use it, all of it. But then people will be like, wait a minute, cat's claw has been around, it's been around, it's ancient, it's been around a long time. It was all sewed up. They knew all that. Really? Because they didn't know about Lyme disease 100 years ago. And they didn't know about Lyme disease anyway, even before that but it's all sewed up. Meanwhile, it's used for Lyme disease now because of MM info. It's really sad how the world works today with that. You can put out life-saving information, brand new life-saving information. It gets poached, then published in minutes out there, and then contributed with the weaponized default mode that it's ancient history, you don't have to cite it back, someone can't find the true source, so they can heal, and that's how it goes. Let's talk about one of my favorite parts of honey, what it does. It's glucose in your bloodstream. It's sugar, right? The minute you eat it, it's glucose. And what do we need in our cells? Our nervous system cells, nerve cells. We need sugar to keep our nerve cells alive. But here's what's amazing you have glucose, which is the honey, filled with thousands upon thousands of phytochemical compounds from hundreds of different plants. Species of plants we're not even allowed to eat, but yet the bee transform the power of that plant that we're not allowed to eat, turns it into medicine. So not only are the phytochemical compounds incredibly powerful on their own, but there's a vast array of them that we don't have access to unless the bee grants it to us. This is the most powerful glucose in the world on planet Earth. The glucose in the beehive, which is the honey, is filled with over 200,000 undiscovered phytochemical compounds. And all of those phytochemical compounds enter into your cells, which require sugar to stay alive and function, because your brain has to have sugar. Every nerve cell in your brain and body needs that glucose, that sugar, and those phytochemical compounds are in that sugar. These are pathogen killers, protectors from radiation damage, protectors from dioxins and heavy metal damage, delivered straight into the cells that need it the most, the nerve cells. And as things get worse on this planet more exposure to pathogens, toxic heavy metals, and chemicals from chemical industries. The adaptogenic properties of honey help us through it. As time goes on in this toxic world, the bees adapt. Then the honey adapts, and it helps us adapt. What are some of the symptoms and conditions honey is good for? Sinus infections, ear infections, diabetes, hypoglycemia. Now that's interesting because Research in science or anybody in the health communities will be like, sugar is the last thing you need if you got diabetes. Sugar is the last thing you need if you're hypoglycemic. Don't eat honey. Meanwhile, if it's used properly, it can help somebody move out of hypoglycemia, out of diabetes. If you're familiar with medical medium information, you'll know that fat blocks the sugar from entering the cell. That's why someone even has hypoglycemia. They got the insulin resistance. Their liver is all stagnant and sluggish. Their insulin is being pumped out to try to drive the sugar in but can't because the fat is blocking it. People go through years of insulin resistance without even a diagnosis. Sugar's not the enemy. Sugar's not the problem. That's why a diabetic could be having an episode, end up basically almost in a diabetic coma sitting on a street somewhere on a park bench, and the only way to bring them back is to put a little orange juice in their mouth and to start reviving them happens all the time because sugar keeps us alive. So when people hear about honey, they're like, way too much sugar in that. You got to stay away from that. But realize that they're also jacked up on all this fat. They're getting insulin resistance. So they're going to be afraid of sugar, yeah, because they're on all this fat. And by the way, they're still eating sugar and all these other forms in and out of it all, but then they get afraid of honey. Other conditions, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, that's a great one because we need sugar to the brain when we have been through some kind of emotional trauma. And then all the bacterial issues, allergies, styes, eye infections, even MRSA, staph infections, mystery infertility, because that right there is interesting. All those phytochemical compounds that are infused in that glucose enter the reproductive organs, helping women with infertility issues other bacterial issues like SIBO, and then insomnia, which is a neurological problem, adrenal fatigue, colitis, colds, flus, influenza, right? Norovirus, the modern plague we're up against, and then all types of cancers, and bipolar disorder, tension deficit, hyperactivity. Because anybody struggling with anything like bipolar, ADHD, even autism, or depersonalization, depression, anxiety, OCD, they need sugar to the brain cells. Neurons, neurotransmitter chemicals all need the building blocks. They need those sugars. And the glucose in honey is packed with all those phytochemical compounds. The glucose in honey is one of the highest quality forms of glucose the brain can ever have. And so when anybody has a brain issue, it's critical that they get the best glucose to the nerve cells. And then there's Alzheimer's, dementia, and original medical medium information is about toxic heavy metals causing Alzheimer's and dementia because the metals oxidize brain tissue. They oxidize brain tissue and damage brain tissue. So brain cells die because of toxic heavy metals. And glucose is needed to revive brain cells, restore them, protect them, and bring them back. And the phytochemical compounds in that glucose help stop the oxidizing of the cells and nerve tissue. And then there's autoimmune disease. Original medical medium information put out in the world that autoimmune is caused by pathogens, viruses, and honey is anti-pathogenic. It's a pathogen killer. And honey is great for food poisoning recovery, upset stomach, plus it can help with bronchitis. Lung infections, laryngitis, thrush, and so much more. Honey-sticky nature isn't just a physical trait. It also applies itself on an emotional level. If you're eating honey and you experience something good, something good happened in your life, a good feeling, maybe somebody lifts you up, maybe something great happens, then the good memories The memories that are positive, those experiences, stick to you. They bind to the brain. The glucose in the honey has supernatural powers. All those phytochemical compounds enter the brain cells when you're having a good experience. They allow that good experience to hang, to stick in your cells, to stay with you. So when a bad experience happens... You can easily obtain those good memories. You can go back to those good experiences, those good references. This is all part of honey's emotional power support. People who run from honey should realize something. If you could trace your family lines back to their oldest days, you would find ancestors who subsisted on honey. Raw honey was not just a survival food in the sense that it simply got people by because they were starving until another food came along. Rather, it was and still is now an incredible medicinal nourishment. Honey is written into our lineage. It's written into our souls, who we are. In a sense, our DNA comes from honey. This means if we avoid honey... We're shutting off a part of ourselves that connects all the way back to the beginning of human life. Trends that derail us, cut us off from eating honey, show us how disconnected we really have become. When we reestablish a connection with honey, it puts us back in touch with ourselves. What else have we turned a cold shoulder to that helped make us what we are today? How much honey can we eat? How much honey is too much? How much honey is not enough? Let's start with the basics. If you're somebody that's eating any sweetener at all, any kind of sugar, candy, ice cream, anything that has cane sugar in it, switch it to honey. You're better off in every way. Let me start with how much honey I eat sometimes. Keep in mind that honey is really medicinal and it's self-limiting. Some days when I'm really busy with work, I don't have a chance to make myself meals. So what I do is, I'll get some lemon balm tea, I'll get the hot water going, I'll make myself a cup of tea, and I'll put a tablespoon of honey in it. Hour goes by, I'll do it all over again. Another tablespoon of honey, another cup of tea. Another hour goes by as I'm working, I'll do it all over again. Another tablespoon of honey. This could happen 10 times in a day. 10 tablespoons of honey. This doesn't happen all the time. This could be a really busy moment in my life. I'm writing the books. It's late at night. I've been up for a lot of hours. I haven't had the right fruit. I haven't gone to the store. But I need glucose to my brain. I need fuel to my brain. Now, keep in mind this too. I didn't have a chicken for lunch. I didn't have a double cheeseburger at the same time. I didn't have a vegan pizza, a bar of chocolate, a nut bar, ice cream, mac and cheese, a pasta, a bagel and cream cheese. I didn't have any fats, not even vegan or plant-based fats or animal protein fats, no fats at all. No fat equals no insulin resistance. Now keep in mind something else. I'm not on caffeine. I'm not on matcha tea. I'm not on coffee all day long either. I'm getting energy from the glucose. That's partly where we get our energy. I noticed that the people who question sugar question honey are jacked up on caffeine. They have to rely on it every day. They're the people that drink the most caffeine or eat the most caffeine because they're afraid of sugar. They're afraid of the very fuel source that gives you energy. So they have to use manufactured energy. They have to take a drug, psychoactive drug like caffeine. They have to infuse that caffeine into their brain and into their adrenals. Then they have to run on adrenaline because that's what caffeine does. And it's a false energy. Meanwhile, they're afraid of sugar. They're afraid of honey. And then people ask me, well, where does my energy come from? Well, it's not coming from fat. I'm not bombarding my body with fat. I don't have all this fat in the bloodstream. I don't have any caffeine. I'm not stimulated on all that psychoactive drug. I'm not on pharmaceuticals, stimulants. For the most part, I have a lot of glucose, a lot of different fruit, a lot of leafy greens, a lot of leafy herbs. Like parsley, a lot of cilantro, a lot of different fruits of all kinds, wild foods like the wild blueberries, lots of different herbs, things like also potatoes and winter squash, and different vegetables like asparagus and brussels sprouts. I like getting what my body needs, lots of glucose, trace mineral salts, antioxidants, polyphenols, anthocyanins, phytochemical compounds. And I'm sure some of you guys out there are thinking like, where's his fats? Healthy fats are critical. They're needed. Well, there is healthy fats in there. There's trace fats in all of those foods. But I'm not bombarding my system with lots of radical fat, overt fat, because what that does is it stops all those trace minerals, all those nutrients, antioxidants, and all that glucose from entering all the cells. This helps me work 20-hour days and not having to run on caffeine. And sometimes, depending on the situation, I'll have an overt fat. I'll have a radical fat, I'll eat an avocado, I'll have some tahini, I'll have some olives. But keeping the fats low allows me to be able to do more glucose. So if I wanted to have more honey, it's not going to cause any insulin resistance because the sugar doesn't cause the insulin resistance. It's all the fat in our bloodstream stopping the sugar and stopping the mineral salts and stopping all the nutrients and phytochemical compounds from entering the cells. So if you're somebody that eats a lot of overt fat or radical fats, and you're having like chicken, you're having animal proteins, or say you're a vegan plant-based person doing a lot of nut butters, nut milks, nuts and seeds, you don't want to do 10 tablespoons of honey that day. That's a day you can do a tablespoon of honey in some form or some way, or two teaspoons of honey. But if you're still going to eat all this other sugar, though, like you're doing vegan donuts and vegan cupcakes and vegan cookies, and it's loaded with all this other kind of sugar, you're better off doing more honey, even if you have more fat in your diet. Also, keep in mind that all those cookies, cakes, and donuts that are vegan or healthier versions of it all have fat in them, too. So fat and sugar, they're insulin-resistant creators. For a baseline, though, as a medicine, one tablespoon a day is a great baseline regardless of what your diet is. But always remember that honey is a potent medicinal medicine, and even a half teaspoon or a teaspoon a day every day, you're getting something incredible in your body. When I hear out there, people rip apart honey, talk bad about it, send people away from it, I think about, bees have it hard enough as it is, they're already endangered, they got enough enemies, What's the bee's number one enemy? Chemtrails. Toxic chemicals falling out of the sky. What's their other enemy? Pollinator killers. Pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, and GMO crops. We want to look out for the bee. We want to befriend the bee. We want to honor the symbiotic relationship between the bee and humankind something we've had here for centuries and thousands of years. As long as human beings have been here, the bee was flying beside them, and honey was a weapon against starvation and disease. It has always been a good source of food and medicine. Time went by, tens of thousands of years, and the earth changed because the people on earth created something that wasn't going to be helpful for the bee. It was only going to be hurtful, and it was the industries, the bee's worst nightmare. Some industries were good, and some industries were darkness, bad and evil. The good was to produce tangible resources without destroying the planet and intoxicating human life here, so that our lives can be easier and we can sustain and protect ourselves with resources for everyday life. Meanwhile, the evil industries created poison, toxins, confusion, corruption, and much of it made for conditioning the minds of the people, and these toxins were to be ingested mentally and physically by everyone. The longtime friend and ally, the bee, hasn't had it easy over the recent last hundred years, and even worse, these last decades. The bee is disrespected, underappreciated, and uncared for. The bee is losing its battle here on Earth and the industries of darkness that create the chemtrails and the other intoxicators, such as the herbicides for the parks, lawns, and yards are shortening the bees' existence on this planet, while at the same time eventually taking away a medicine that was provided to us since the beginning of our existence. The bees are the miracle transformer of medicine, and the honey keeps changing to keep up with what our bodies are up against in today's world of pathogens, deficiencies, exposures, and broken immune systems. One of the truest of all plant medicines in our hands today if we have inner sight to see its value and to know the truth.